Hello, and welcome back to Real-Time Strategy, a podcast all about the gaming industry. I'm one of your hosts, Caitlin Redwing, joined once again by the my co-host, Sam Mosier. Sam, how are you doing today? Always a pleasure to be on the show with you, Caitlin. Uh, we have our first guest of the new year, so I won't delay us any further. I'm excited for this episode. Me too. Yes. This week, we are joined by IGN Senior Features Editor Matt Kim to discuss his new role, his career path to IGN, and what makes a compelling feature. Uh, hi, Matt. How are you? Thank you for joining us today. Hi. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, Sam. I did not realize I was the first guest of the new year, so that's very cool. Yes. We, uh, we took a little break, but we're back, and we had our first episode um, two weeks ago. We just kind of talked about the Nintendo Direct which was a lot of fun, but mm -hmm. we're really looking forward to talking to you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah. To kick us off, we always ask our guests like a couple get to know you questions. So the first one should be pretty easy. What are you playing right now? I'm playing uh, Metal Gear Solid 5, actually. I've uh, put off the series for so long. That was like the Metal Gear series was like one of my big blind spots uh, for mm -hmm. such a long time. And Starting last year, I started with the first one, and now I am up to the fifth one. Like I've just been, I've made tremendous progress. I think, and so yeah, I went through one, two, three, four, and now I'm on five. And uh, surprise, surprise, it's, it turns out people were right. It's a very good series. <laughs> so I'm curious, like you, that is one of the big franchise blind spots for me in gaming. How was going back to specifically like one and two, maybe even three? Like how have they aged? Were they still fun to play in 2022? So, okay. So, one is rough. One's really tough, actually. One plays pretty dated. It's pretty old. It uses, like, the original PlayStation controllers. So, I don't even think it, it functions, actually, with the thumbsticks. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> and so, so one is actually, like, pretty tough to, to get through. And I, I, I think it's, like, I pretty much relied on guides a lot of the way through uh, for the first one, only because I didn't want... I didn't, I kind of didn't really want to bother figuring out all the all the mm -hmm. things myself. I kind of just wanted to do the story stuff. Uh, but after that, like after that, it actually gets really easy. Like two, three still hold up really well. Uh, two actually might be my favorite one uh, of the bunch. Uh, and then, but yeah, nice. they're incredibly modern games. And I and I think I like they're. I think the I think the stealth part of the games are like incredibly intimidating. But you kind of have to remember that because they're old games, the the. Like, the enemies are kind of dumb, right? Like, you can, like, just hide behind one, like, be, like, two feet away, and just you're kind of worried that, like, oh, if this was real life, they would totally see me. But because it's a video game from, from 2001, the AI is not very good. And so they just were like, oh, where did you go? I guess there's no one here. And then they just, like, move away. <laughs> and, so, and so the games are actually not that hard, uh, I think, in this day and age. And so, but, yeah, it's 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 been... I'm glad I got, I'm glad I got to experience it because I, I think... Um, I think people talk about the series rightly uh, in high esteem for for various reasons, and I, I know that now. It is I'm... also one of my blind spots. Go ahead, Sam. Well, I was going to ask uh, because, and I, I know from a lot of people who have done this recently themselves, um, that four is a little hard to go back to. And if your answer, if you don't want this to air, whatever your answer is, we can cut this question. But how, how did you play for? Because I know it's kind of trapped on PS3. Yeah, oh, uh, well, okay. So luckily, uh, I actually just, I have my old PS3. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah, wow. like I'm not, uh, I'm not a collector of, by any means. Like I don't have a bunch of my old consoles. Uh, but I think what happened was, when I got my PS4, I had a like I had a I had a PS3, and then I had a bunch of bunch of games, and the PS4 was one of, like the first consoles that I was able to to get on my own with my adult job money, and uh, and I was originally I think going to trade in my PS3, but then I think the PS4 wasn't backwards compatible at the time, and so I was just like, oh, that's fine, I guess. So I just kept my PS3, put it put it in a box, and then like forgot about it, but I like I always knew that I had it around, and so. When I decided to go back and play all these games, I actually just dug up my PS3 and played it that way. But That's awesome. Yeah. That is really impressive, and I'm jealous because <laughs> I don't hold on to my old consoles, and there's many games that I I think would 
I would like to go back and play, but... It, yeah, if the PS4 would let me play PS3 games, I totally, definitely would not have it lying around. Yeah. But it was one of those things where I'm like, I have a lot of PS3 games that I, that I like, that I that I love. And then uh, I think it was a slim one, too. So it wasn't even that, Ooh. like, that much mm-hmm. of a, a commitment to hold on to. Like, I think if it was the big, chunky guy, I would also maybe get rid of it. But because it was such, like, a a small thing that was able that I was able to just put into into an old storage unit uh, that I don't really think about. It was, yeah. yeah, it made it easier for me for sure. <laughs> my, uh, is... I was gonna say, my brothers are my storage unit. I have the <laughs> habit of passing down consoles and all of my tech because I am always like, oh, a new thing's out. I need that, and always living in apartments and moving. I'm like, I cannot haul, like you said, the big chunky console. So I'm like, here, why don't you have this? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say my parents are my storage unit. Uh, <laughs> my home, my, uh, ha- you know, home, yeah, what am I trying to say? My childhood home still houses <laughs> our chunky PS3. Uh, so good on you, Matt, for having the forethought to like keep it because that damn cell processor makes... I mean, backwards compatibility basically impossible. So I'm still holding on. Well, I should say my parents are still holding on to mine. Uh, should I ever want to like, go back and play Infamous 1 or 2? <laughs> oh, totally worth it. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I lucked out. I totally get it. I can kind of I kind of forgot about it. But yeah, I real, I did. I plugged it in and then I, I unplugged it. So now it's back in storage. Like now that I'm no longer playing the original <laughs> PlayStation 3 Metal Gear games. Nice. So you've been playing older games. Uh, my next question, though, is on some new games. What are you looking forward to most coming out this year that you want to play? I think I think this is the like it's been a couple difficult years, I think, because of, of the mm-hmm. pandemic. But this is this is the first year that feels very exciting. So I have a lot. Zelda, top of mind. Zelda is coming up in a couple a couple months. Uh, Final Fantasy sixteen. Starfield, really, like every, it seems like everybody's got like a major game coming out this year that I desperately want to play. So I think those three are are my top. Two of those are in my top. I'm, I have Final Fantasy's also my gap, um, but I'm really looking forward to Tears of the Kingdom and Starfield, though I'm still playing through Breath of the Wild (laughs) and I've been really slow playing through it. But I, that procrastination, it like, It'll kick in at some point where I like am so close to the release that I will do nothing but play it and finish it. That's a good shout. I think I also have to hit credits on Breath of the Wild. Like I'm, I think I'm like right there at the end. The only yeah. thing is like I stopped like because it was one, it's one of those things where you get so close to finishing it that you're just like oh I can pick this up anytime and, and yes. be done with it and you kind of just forget about it and and uh, but yeah I think I also have to hit credits on Breath of the Wild before finishing uh, or before being able to start Tears of the Kingdom um, this podcast has done many great things including helping me feel better about also not rolling credits <laughs> on uh, we, we find more and more people every episode <laughs> there are dozens of us <laughs> yeah it's just like it's also one of those games that you kind of don't want it to end I know you can always go back and do everything after you roll credits but there is something about you know, building up your power, taking on Ganon, that there's a part of me ever when I do roll credits that there's always a little less motivation to go back and do everything else because I, I mm-hmm. know I've done the main thing. There's there's something about finishing Zelda games. I Not not Breath of the Wild, but one of my most heartbreaking gaming moments uh, of all time was uh, when Twilight Princess came out and I, I put in hours and hours of it and I got like literally halfway through. And then because I was playing on the Wii, you know, the Wii controls are a little finicky. Mm-hmm. I accidentally deleted my one and only <gasps> save file for Twilight Princess after putting in like so many hours and it destroyed me to the point that I did not pick up that game for two years. Like I just stopped <laughs> playing it for two years and then and then well like after a long period of time I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and beat it again and then I like I played all the way through. But I was so upset that I was just like, Well, that's I'm you know what? I'll just put that away and not bother with that for a while. <laughs> especially because so twilight princess is my favorite twilight game it's really good i every single podcast uh, this gets mentioned (laughs) um however the intro to that game is so long like i i can't even imagine deleting my file and having to start over um i actually it was my favorite on the gamecube and i played it a few times and the motion controls on the wii i just like i hated so or the wii u specifically Mm -hmm. i just I hated it and I never finished it on the Wii U because I the game is also like flipped backwards and I think yeah. that's 
because Link is left-handed, and so like with the controllers, he has to be right-handed. Did I just blow your mind, Sam? I. It's one of those things where, like, I you don't realize. Like, growing up, I would play games with inverted controls, and like, mm. I didn't know any better. Um, and you're you just unlocked a part. Like, oh my gosh, I never realized how weird that was about Twilight Princess on Wii. Yeah, everything it's all flipped, and that was just for some reason like so jarring to me. And I was like, <laughs> I most people probably didn't don't even notice, um, but because I like had ingrained that game into my brain, I was like, this is wrong, and so I just couldn't play it. While I'm in good company with fellow Twilight Princess fans, I'll share the one story about the game I haven't talked about on the show yet, which is in fourth grade, um, all of my buddies and I were doing a race to play through the game, but I was the only one that had, like, the Prima Game strategy guide, <laughs> um, which you would think, like, oh, that gives Sam the advantage. No, I was meticulously, like, getting every <laughs> single thing in that game, so they beat it months before I did. I was like, oh, no, I'm still I'm still getting everything in the Water Temple. <laughs> You just aged me, Sam. <laughs> the minute I said it, I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all right. All right. Well, <laughs> intro questions aside, we got Twilight Princess out of the way. I can check that off my list. Um, we can go ahead and kind of dive into you, Matt. Um, so recently... You were promoted from senior news editor to senior features editor. Uh, this was last month, I believe. Do you want to talk a little bit about your new role, um, how you got it, like just the journey from senior news editor to features editor? Uh, yeah, I mean, I so I've I've cut my teeth on news for for most of my writing career as mm-hmm. uh, as news editor for most most of my time in, in journalism. Um, but you know, features isn't, isn't too far off. And so we've, we had not to get, not to get too in the weeds about it, I think, uh, about it, but, um, internally we had some openings, including a features role and, uh, features as always, a, a, a department that I'd always had my eyes on, you know, and I, and I always thought that like a lot of my news stories or my big long news reports that I've, that I'm very proud of actually are pretty featurey, you know, and that they're very like, I think narrative, narrative driven in terms of uh, what I like doing as a journalist. I like telling stories. I like telling stories about, about things or topics. And, and a lot of those things can cross over into features pretty, pretty easily. And so when, when the roles opened up uh, at IGN, I, I applied for it internally and, and uh, gave them my pitch and my ideas and, and how I, I could help uh, IGN features grow and they mm-hmm. seem to like it. And so now I'm here. I like it. Yeah. Um, I know you said you don't want to get too like technical with it, but just for maybe some of our listeners who don't understand the like divisions of the editorial team, can you talk about the, maybe how the responsibilities are different from like the senior news editor to a senior's feature editor? It might seem simple, but just. Uh, yeah. So, and, and when I was, uh, when I was the senior news editor at IGN, a lot of the, uh, the way I describe it is a lot of the, the news stories that you see on the site, you know, uh, like the the shorter ones that you would read about with the with the headlines about you know release date announcement for X game or uh, new casting for X show, you know, a lot of that went through went through one of the news editors' desk for approval, and so that was a lot of like what I did is I, I made sure that the daily news flow at IGN was was up to our standards, and uh, on the features we we focus a little bit more on uh, long form storytelling sort of stories. And so if you, and and it's, a, and you know, iGen has a big like video production arm too. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the things that I now help out on is, uh, you know, sort of the like uh, Easter egg features you would see for like The Last of Us and, and things like that, that are not not timely, not like tied to the, the mm-hmm. announcement cycle and more of a, Hey, here's some cool things that we're that we all know that we're playing and watching together. The Last of Us, uh, uh, For Spoken, you know, Atomic Heart, um, games like that. And we're just like where we can sort of ideate like cool stories to to dive into around them. That's fun. Has that required a? Because, like you said, you you've it, under the news umbrella published things that definitely qualify as features. But now doing this full time. Has that required any sort of retraining in the way you're thinking of stories every day? Uh, obviously, I'm sure like the pitching and and kind of teamwork aspect has changed. Um, I think I think the big thing is okay. So so news is a very 
you you have to be very careful in news. News is news is about facts, and you have to be right, and you don't want to misconstrue facts, and you don't want to present false facts. And so it's a lot of fact checking to make sure that everything that you're writing for a news story is accurate and 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 to the to the truth. Especially if you're working on a story where facts aren't publicly available or readily available. And that isn't to say that's not the case for features. Obviously, I don't want to just like I'm not saying that features is is about not fact checking, uh, <laughs> but features lets me like trust my own voice in, uh, a little bit. You know, I I don't really have to rely on on outside sources if uh, if I want to write on a feature about how uh, you know The Last of Us is the best video game adaptation of all time. I can just say that as an opinion because it, I you know because I believe in it and I don't necessarily <laughs> need uh, fact checkers to to back me up on my own thoughts regarding a show, you know, so. It'd be very weird if fact checkers tried to find a way to prove or disprove that. Exactly. Yeah. They'd be like, actually, I don't agree with you. And uh, <laughs> here's the data and science as to why you're wrong. But I can, I can, in fact, I can just be like, well, you know, that's just like my opinion, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, Four features. I know as, our job as PR professionals, sometimes we pitch uh, feature stories to reporters. Um, what would you say makes a compelling feature story that comes across like your inbox from mm -hmm. PR people? So I think, um, I, you know, being I as an editor, I sort of have a, a little more freedom as into what pitches I, I, I say yes or no to. And just for personal preference, just for me, and, I, and I'm speaking for myself only, is I, I really like the storytelling aspect of the of the features job, you know, and if there's an opportunity where we can shine a light and tell a story about something that uh, people are just like a little interested in or a little curious about uh, that we can explore and, and be able to present that to people in a way that, that they find helpful and, and mostly entertaining is I think the what I would say yes to, you know, like, um, mm -hmm. for example, like I did. So one of the things is I did as a, as a news editor before that, and, you know, like features and news, we work really closely together. And sometimes the projects that we work on are actually very similar. And so finding the difference between the two is actually kind of tough sometimes. But a lot of the things that I like doing when I was still a news editor that I still do now in features that I can still do is if people are talking about like some like one small cool thing that they see in a trailer for a game that's coming out. I like I like being able to talk to the developers or talk to the creatives about mm -hmm. that one thing and just that one thing. Yeah, a nice like nerdy deep dive. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, I'm always a big fan of those two. I um I'm curious you, you mentioned the the video component of the features team as well. Uh tell us about like is that how often were you working with the video team in news and what does that look like now? I, I'm thinking you, you mentioned the deep dives. I think of IGN's behind the level series, mm -hmm. which I'm such a fan of. I, I find that to be such a cool look at game dev, at least, especially usually after a game's release. Um, like would that, for instance, fall under kind of the features department? Yeah, yeah. So that's the kind of stuff that the features department works on. And, and like, let's, you know, vi video is such a big part of like IGN's like total output that uh, under news, I was also helping out on video, but that was mostly like, that was, I was the one fact checking, you know, the daily news show that IGN has, uh, the, and just making sure that everything there was correct. And then now that I'm features, I'm just working on the different, different videos than that. So there, we mm -hmm. have the news shows that I was helping out on when I was on the news team. And now we have the deep dive and the Easter eggs and, and the more featurey videos that I'm helping out now that I'm on the feature scene. Nice. Before anyone comes to us, I think it's called Art of... Is it the Art of the Level? Art, of the, Art of the Level. Thank you, yeah. Caitlin. Good fact Just check. Before I... Someone will get upset, but yes, I, I'm a big fan of the Art of the Level videos and... And have watched I, the news as well. I can't take credit for those. Those the art of the level videos were were started up by my predecessors, uh, Lucy O'Brien and Jonathan Dornbush, and so uh, I've merely uh, inherited some of their duties on, <laughs> on those things. But um, you you talk a bit about kind of finding the feature stories that you want to talk about. What would you say is like the percentage of feature stories that kind of get pitched to you, and then? How often are are you the one figuring out what stories to talk about? Uh, well, I'm a month into my job, and so the the ratio is still still <laughs> unproven uh, 
regarding all the, the full, like I, I have a couple stories in the works that were pitched to me that I'm very excited for everyone to see, and hopefully we'll start seeing them soon. Uh, I have a couple features that I've written that are also in production. So right now I feel like uh, it might be 70-30 in terms of uh, feature pitches that I've been getting versus mm -hmm. stuff that I'm writing on my own. Uh, I feel like that could hopefully change into into different ratios as we go forward. But uh, for now, but I I do enjoy writing and I, I want to keep writing. And so hopefully, yeah. uh, you will you know. And I you know, and I get to be a little selfish. Like if uh, if there's something that I want to do and I want to pursue, uh, I would take I would take mine over a freelance pitch. <laughs> I definitely understand that. <laughs> Speaking of uh, the freelancer pitches, you know, you mentioned, you know, what PR you know, pitches coming from PR reps uh, interest you. I'm sure similarly, freelancers, it's, of course, that storytelling angle. Um, but I've noticed on your Twitter in the last like month or two, when these big beats are coming up, putting out a call for feature pitch ideas, whether it's the PSVR 2 launch, Hogwarts Legacy, Atomic Heart, I think was the most recent batch. Um, like, what... Do those kind of inbounds look like? What would your tips be for freelancers reaching out to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think so. I've been doing it very intentionally, uh, calling out specific games or uh, or beats that we want to cover uh, for pitches, and uh, and I've been doing that because um, you know the reality of, of journalism and or you know entertainment media is that you kind of want stories regarding the things that people are talking about right now as opposed to, you know, uh, however many years ago. And and I I get it. Like, I want to write about, like, Luigi's Mansion on the, <laughs> uh, you know, on the GameCube as much as anyone, for example, right? Like, I've never written about that game because I came out when I was a kid and I'd love to write about it now. And But that's not what people are talking about right now. People want to find out about what's coming up. And so I've been doing a very intentional thing where I've been hoping, hopefully driving freelancers, you know, who have ideas, about things that are coming up to to reach out to me um as as opposed to maybe maybe well, what's the word i'm looking for maybe like um more evergreen stories you know for mm -hmm. for games that are classic and and that maybe aren't in the news cycle right now but you know is beloved and i'm totally happy to take those pitches and i and i read everything that comes into my inbox but uh yeah the thing that i've been doing on twitter where i where i call out specific games or specific topics is because that's sort of where my focus is and where, the, where our team's focus is. So That makes sense. I will say, though, if Luigi's Mansion has 100 <laughs> readers, I'm one of them. If Luigi's <laughs> Mansion has one reader, I'm one of them. Uh, that's good to know. Okay, well, I... I can at least pitch that internally to my boss and be like, hey, this will guarantee at least one happy reader. At least, at least one. She'll be very happy and she'll talk about it on our podcast. <laughs> Another thing um, that IGN has done very recently was the IGN Fan Fest, uh, a very cool annual thing tied across multi-mediums, uh, gaming, movies, TV. Uh, how has your work for that changed? You you've been through at, at least a few Fan Fests. What did it look like being on the features team versus being on the news team? So that is and that is a that's a site-wide effort but it's really led up uh by our amazing, you know, events team. We have an entire events team that handles it and, and unfortunately they might be the person to best talk about about FanFest. Uh as for me, you know, I get to I help out essentially where I can. You know, uh if it's when I was on news, the my contributions were were writing news stories uh regarding things that were going to be announced at FanFest and so that's a lot of what my primary job was. Uh, on features, I'm able to help out with, you know, if we if we have things in the works and need ideas for the best way to approach this, and I'm able to to chip in and and say, hey, oh, you know, this person would be would be a great person to ask about about X or Y or mm -hmm. or something, or this would be a cool angle for for this segment, you know, and stuff like that. But in terms of, but yeah, FanFest is such a such a it's kind of crazy, yeah, because I remember the first year that we did it, and it, and it was one of those things where you know. It was so experimental, and we didn't know how to pull it off. But now it's been it's been a couple years since, and it just feels like every year we're just like, oh wow, this is keeps getting better and better. Yeah, I'm curious. Like, I guess first off, I should say, Matt, for those who are maybe not as familiar as we are, what is IGN Fan Fest? Um, do you have any highlights from this year? Uh, yeah, so IGN Fan Fest is a, an annual, and now at this point, and now annual uh, all digital sort of sort of event where we. 
uh, are able to exclusively reveal new trailers or release dates for things or cool behind the scenes segments uh, for upcoming upcoming stuff and and uh, you know the basic and it's cross yeah it's cross movies TVs and games so you know a lot of cool things. My favorite from this year was. We released an exclusive clip for that upcoming Dungeons and Dragons movie with Chris Pine, mm-hmm. and I don't know if y'all saw it, but it's hilarious. Like it's very funny, and I'm very. <laughs> I actually that watched that earlier today. Oh, I it's think so good. I, I think it was the IGN like Instagram account or something, <laughs> and I had missed that during FanFest. And it is very funny. And if you're were on the fence of watching this movie, watch that clip, and you'll you'll understand it, and you'll want to <laughs> see it. I was very excited to see uh, a release window for Lies of P. Um, that's that's high in my anticipated list for this year, um, and so that 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 was a, a highlight of mine. Uh, yeah, that's a weird one, right? Because it's about Pinocchio. Yeah, yeah, it's a like Pinocchio meets Bloodborne combat, which Pinocchio is having a weird renaissance right now between the Robert Zemeckis movie, the Guillermo del Toro movie, and now this <laughs> mature action game. But I guess I'm here for it. Um, the, mine was a weird one, but I loved Elizabeth Banks was talking about Cocaine oh, Bear. Yes, <laughs> that movie's it's also just, gonna be fun. That movie's <laughs> gonna be so much fun, and also like it's uh, Ray Liotta. Liotta. Mm. Oh yeah. It, Probably his last role. It's his last yeah. role. Which, can, oh, yeah. yeah, wild movie to be his last role, but seems any, fitting. Yeah, given his Ray good, good fellow's legacy, <laughs> go out with a bang, you know. Yes, <laughs> a very wild ride. So, when it comes to Fan Fest, Matt, um, having been there since it started, like, how has it changed? Like, tell us about, you know refining it to like you said like an annual process at this point i know you said it's more the event scene but at least the insight you have yeah yeah i mean i think it's been, it feels it feels kind of wild i think it was two three years ago when the first one was which is weird but um i think uh i think the i remember the first one scheduling was our main thing and i think it was spread across like four or five days but split across two weeks and so it was like two days one week and then two or three days the next week and i remember that being uh that being our schedule at the time and that's logistically very very weird because it's one of those things we're like oh well, you know we're done for this week but don't forget next week we also have a couple a couple days but i think so i think the thing that we changed over the years is now it's just straight consecutive days of event and that makes things easier for us and i think it makes things easier for for people to tune into because then people know that like, Oh, there's today, there's day one, day two and day three. And then that's over. So that's nice. Was, was 2020 the first year? I, I guess think that's so. what it, it yeah. might've been right before COVID. Oh, maybe really. it was 20, maybe it was 2021. Maybe it's only been two years. It's maybe it was. Cause I, in my mind, the pandemic just makes my memory so fuzzy. I know I'm getting it confused with summer of gaming, which happened I'm almost positive in the summer of 2020. Yeah. I don't quite remember now when FanFest started. But either way, like, I mean, hats off to the the events team at IGN for pulling off all of these regularly and with, you know, such cool reveals and, and celebrities and names involved. Uh, yeah, I mean, seriously, it is a massive undertaking. I don't know. I don't know how they do it. And as far as I'm concerned, it's magic. So good for them. It seems like magic, especially for, yeah, like Sam said, just an impressive and successful event especially with like the digital format with coven we, we saw a bunch of similar type fests um and it's just great to see one continue to be successful and mm. i don't know it's just i have a lot of i look forward to it and hopefully it'll continue yeah me too i love working on it i love i love seeing what the team puts together the uh my favorite every year is just to see what the art team does because they always just come up with amazing concepts for for the visual stuff and the visual design of fanfest so mm-hmm. uh so like you said you've you've only been in your new role for about a month um however what kind of stories are there any that you're looking forward to or hoping to write in the future uh hoping to write in the future stories that i want to write in the future um i mean i think i think a 
type of story that I've always kind of wanted to write is um, is a full on profile. I've never really written a profile on on a single person, but I I uh, I'm a big fan of um, of uh, I don't know if you're familiar with an entertainment journalist, Alex Jung over at Vulture, but they do amazing profiles on single individuals, and I'd love to be able to do something. Uh, like that in uh, in either the gaming or entertainment space, you know, just be able to, and you know, it's tough. I think because I think the I think a lot of the pitches that I do get are for like one off interviews for maybe like an like at most maybe two hours with someone to to talk to them about. But like to be able to you know tail someone for a course of a couple of days and just see what what they do and what their days like, and then also be able to write about about what something they're working on. Like I'm hoping to be able to do something like that in the future. Who. If you could write a feature or a profile piece, who would you want to write it on? Ah, you know what? That is a good question. I don't really have an answer. I don't think. I think I'm willing to. I'm willing to open that up to uh, any opportunity that might come my way regarding that. Like, I, I wouldn't say no to anybody really at that point. Maybe someone. Uh, maybe someone abroad. That way, I can get travel travel out of it. Mm. That would be Look, cool. Yeah, you're thinking smart right now. Yeah. <laughs> get get that travel. Yeah. You mentioned I would love to, you're right. There is a like dearth of uh, or like a lack of profiles, especially in gaming and even just I mean like outside of sometimes like the large, you know, lead actor, lead actress run Oscar season or maybe a big director. Not you don't see a whole lot of them and I always love digging into the history of whatever it is and especially gaming would be cool. Another feature that you don't see much of in gaming that is, I think Vulture does a lot of really good ones are oral histories and the Mm -hmm. ringer also does good ones of, you know, the, these weird, you know, the making of Lilo and stitch, I think was my favorite of last year. Um, these exhaustive kind of cast creatives, animators, um, digging into, you know, the original conception all down to the development release. I think that would be uh, a really cool thing to see, done more in gaming as well especially just because the industry is so secretive I, usually it has to happen several years down the line yeah oral histories are super fun especially especially i think oral history is one of the few features that actually works better with something that is older than something newer you know because that uh because with the with the sort of passage of time uh people sort of like remember certain moments and then people are like oh yeah remember that thing from like five years ago that you loved we had to do that by uh sourcing you know like five pounds of fake slime from a local toy store in order to make that happen or something like that like that um this is an ign's book but rebecca valentine is i want to say it's almost like an oral history she's writing a book on food and drink Mm -hmm. and video games um which i sam did we talk about that on this podcast i don't believe so i must have talked about it somewhere else but just about like how fascinating, like what food and drink gets picked to be in video games and like iconic ones that everyone remembers, like the Nuka Cola from mm-hmm. Fallout games. Um, so Rebecca, for those who don't know, Rebecca Valentine is uh, she is a writer at IGN and does some great work. But she'll be also working on her own book. Yeah, very excited for it. Matt, yeah. help me out. What's the isn't there a some product placement in Metal Gear Solid Three to return to our, or am I making that up? Uh, Metal Gear Solid Three has Calorie Mate, which I don't know the full okay. history of. I don't know if Calorie Mate came was a real product that came first, or they made that because of the game. I think it, I think it was real because you can buy that. You can buy. It's, they're like they're like little little shortbread biscuits, I think, and they're you know. They're like emergency rations that you can essentially eat. They're pretty tasteless, uh, if I recall. But, uh, but yeah, that's an actual thing in the game. Uh, I know Death Stranding, which is not in the Metal Gear series, but has, has actual monster energy drink. Um, and you mentioned uh, Final Fantasy sixteen. I know fifteen has the cup of noodles in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this is this is an oral or not oral history, <laughs> but it could be a yeah a history of advertising and product placement in video games i would read that <laughs> yeah i would too I- i'm curious matt y- you mentioned the profiles which i love and i'm sure of course some of this is under wraps but you mentioned when you know pitching yourself for this role you brought some ideas is there any other even if they're general other kind of just feature types or 
or stories that you're really excited to pursue in this position? Uh, not so much stories. I think one of my I think one of my main goals in the, in the site, and I think this is sort of a initiative that my my boss uh, is heading up. Is uh, I don't know if you all seen, but IGN has started launching columns. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, and and so as part of that, I think that's one of those things that we're trying to do. Where a lot of times, you know, when like a review, for example, uh, we would get comments that says, "Oh, IGN gave." this game an eight or IGN gave this game a nine. I'm like, well, that's not true. The reviewer gave this game an eight. The reviewer gave this game a nine. And uh, so one of the things that I want to help do that we're already trying to do is sort of focus that IGN is not just one name, but IGN is a collection of writers, very talented writers. And so uh, one of the things we're doing is trying to highlight people's individual personalities and their likes and dislikes and their, and, uh, and their voice more uh, on the site. And that includes freelancers too. You know, that includes people mm-hmm. who, uh, you who we you know pitches that we accept. Like one of the things that we want to put forward is this is not, this is not IGN saying this thing. This is a writer for IGN saying this thing. Yeah, it's like you mentioned with like news. Like it's very fact based, and like basically everything else. It's you have opinions and writers like. I might rate a game way differently than Sam does because we're going to have different tastes and that's okay. People should rate both because honestly, we have great tastes. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I I forgot about the column thing. I, I really like that because I, I have been seeing that a lot mm. with some games. We won't name them, but yeah, people getting very like knee-jerk reactions to scores from outlets and wanting to like boycott or blame an entire outlet for one person's opinions mm-hmm. yeah so i you know and that's that's same that's not just our our issue right that that happens right. to every other outlet too but yeah so one of the things that we're trying to do is is hopefully get get our in our individual writers and editors on staff to be able to uh share things that is decidedly theirs you know because and then for people to respond positively to it you know mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. I know following the columns thus far, I know Dan Stapleton did a really interesting one. We One we actually talked about on this show with him uh, about, you know, why so many sevens nowadays. And uh, <laughs> everybody either check out this episode or especially go read that column. Like it's a it's an interesting topic. I know there's an accessibility column. Um, I find that to be it, it's cool. I mean, the IGN brand, like you said, it, it's um, it's so powerful, but it like, you know, it it can like kind of consume the individuals underneath it. Whereas like, I think, you know, the also power of IGN is how many names and individuals has lifted up in its decades long history. So cool to see columns furthering that effort. Yeah, totally. And then like this, yeah. And that was, and that was one of the things that sort of uh, funnily, funny enough, just aligned uh, when I, when I was applying for the features role is I, you know, I said, I, you know, I want to do a lot of like voice forward stories things that that gets writers voices across and uh funny enough this was already something that was being worked on and so now we're combining to mm-hmm. see uh some of the the fruits of our labor uh appear that's awesome i'm curious you mentioned uh with columns being a way to highlight voice you know uh individual voices uh, to look at your work experience and and past you know features and news pieces I guess to start broadly before we talk about like some of your favorite examples, um, how would you describe your voice? Like if you had a column, um, what would you like a monthly column per se? Is there a specific topic you would like to delve into? Uh, I, you know what? I, no one likes their own voice, whether it's recording <laughs> or in the written form. <laughs> so it's one of those things where I'm sure, I'm sure other people can probably tell you better than what I think my voice is, where I feel like my voice is very just like finger waggy, know it all is, <laughs> is, uh, is what I feel like my voice is. But, uh, but no, I, I, you know, I, I'm still, I, I too, uh, am hoping to get a column up and running soon. Uh, I can't share what it is yet but you know hopefully uh something like that but you know i've always I've, you know like i have i have i think um like i i grew up in south korea and i grew up in seoul and i and i i have a strong passion for for east asian pop culture in particular mm-hmm. and uh i definitely feel like that is something that gives me sort of a unique perspective in the in the media landscape and so 
uh, I'm I'm always there to champion champion things uh, that I feel like people uh, don't necessarily you know like we were talking before the show like physical 100 like I uh, as a South Korean reality com- com- uh, competition show that I think everybody should watch and uh, you know yeah that's great and I would read it <laughs> um, I yeah I know you share um, a lot of. Asian American and Korean voices on Twitter. And you recently wrote a piece that I really encourage everyone to go read about Asian American game developers dreaming of their, you quoted it, the Minari moment. Uh, we're seeing a lot of more like nuanced storytelling in film and TV. Do you want to talk a little bit about kind of what that piece was, uh, what game developers are kind of hoping for when it comes to that type of representation in games? Yeah, that one was so. That one is that was this that was a news report, and so in go, a little going back to what we said in the beginning of the show, that was one where I spoke with uh, a lot of game Asian American game developers uh, uh, for a, a more fact based reported story. But yeah, but like you know, the it was nice to to talk with a bunch of different people, but find that we all sort of have the a similar idea of what we would like the future for Asian American representation to look like, you know, a lot of the and that's it's kind of a weird question in games, I think in particular. Like in movies yeah. and TVs it makes a lot of sense, but in games like yeah. uh like Japan and, and Korea and China are, are really big like video game powerhouses. Uh you know, a lot of games, a lot of major video game releases come from there. And so the, a lot of the questions that I would get is like, what do you mean Asian representation in video games? There's there's games like Tekken and Street Fighter and all mm-hmm. sorts of games from from Asia. You know, like is there a need for representation? And the answer is kind of yeah, a little bit because those are just three countries. You know, that's not the whole of Asia, right? Like there, we don't see a lot of like Vietnamese representation, Thai representation, Filipino, Indonesian representation, and that's growing more. Actually, Indonesia has a really big uh, indie game scene that's coming up, and so there's a lot of voices coming out of Indonesia lately. That that's really exciting. Um, but yeah, so in terms, so when the question is, is what do we need more Asian representation in games? The answer is yes, because it's not just the aforementioned three major countries making major video games. And so uh, that's something that we'd like to see that another difference is like there's a, a big difference between Asian representation and Asian American representation. You know, a lot of us third culture kids don't like I'm like I immigrated from Korea at a fairly young age. Um, but you know, some Asian Americans have been here for generations, right? Their parents were born here, their grandparents were born here. And so the, and the culture is, is different, you know? And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of, lot of, there's a difference when we say, well, we don't identify necessarily with Ryu from Street Fighter. That's not Asian representation for a lot of Asian Americans, you know? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Are there any... Uh, specific titles uh, that are either upcoming or come out recently since the publishing of that story or even highlighted in that story um, that, like, stick out to you per that topic? Mm, I, uh, there are a couple, like I said, there's a, there's a game that came out of Indonesia recently, an indie game, and the title's escaping me, uh, which I really space want. space for the Unbound? Yes, yeah, oh, so I have that. yeah. Uh, yeah, I have that wish. I have that on my on my Steam Deck, uh, and I'm waiting to play it. I have not started it yet, but that was on my list, that I've, and I've heard a lot of good things about it. Uh, Life is Strange, True Colors, uh, prominent Asian American protagonist uh, that I thought was done really well. Uh, so there's there's been like positive examples, and I and I'm hoping to see more. Actually, one I want to shout out is um, Tokyo Ghostwire had uh, that was a, a Tango GameWorks game, and that had a very like it had a Japanese protagonist, but it was set in a modern context in a modern city. And so that the protagonist wasn't like a karate master martial artist or anything like that. It was just like a normal average guy in Japan and something weird happens to him. And and that was, I think was an interesting and refreshing sort of perspective from, uh, from a, a Japanese developer. And so games like that. Yeah. And those are, and I think, you know, hopefully as we, as we move on, we'll, we'll get even more of those going forward. Yeah, definitely. Especially with, I feel like there's this increased um, call for more representation in the game's development side, not just like in the game, but because you kind of, you need those people on the development side to be able to actually tell that story and make a game that's going to be authentic and not written and created by a bunch of white dudes. 
Uh, so yeah, and it's tough, right? Like game development is such a different different animal from movies and television, mm-hmm. you know. And and so being and a lot like writers' rooms in in video games or writing teams in video games just work so much differently than than in movies and TV. And so the, the hurdles are different, maybe more challenging. It's hard to say, uh, but I yeah, I I completely sympathize. You know, like if progress is a, is a bit slow, it's not because no one's for lack of trying. You know, it's just mm-hmm. it just works hard. It just works different. Yeah. For sure. Um, well, I'm definitely going to check out that one game because you said it and it, I like, yeah, briefly remembered, but, uh, yeah, A Space for the Unbound. Say it again for our listeners. Definitely check that out. Um, Matt, kind of pulling back a little bit, you you mentioned you, you've been in like the news writing for like, is it 10 years or over 10 years now? Uh, I see you've worked at Twinfinite, Inverse, US Gamer. You've freelanced for some of those years as well at Vice, Polygon, Kill Screen. Um, can you talk a little bit about how did you get into games journalism? Wow, yeah, that was that. Okay, so uh, <laughs> I, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I started out just covering games uh, for you know, on, like as a hobby more than as like a as like an occupation thing. Like I went to college. Uh, with the idea that I would do some, not journalism, honestly, like I didn't go to journalism school. Um, and uh, my ideas for, for the, what I would end up doing with it was at that time was I had like different career goals. Um, but yeah, I, it, wow. Yeah. It was, it kind of happened, happened uh, not by accident, but just coincidence i guess maybe or 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 i just took opportunities that came to me and then Mm -hmm. ended up following the path that it ended up leading to so my first actual like paid writing job was at at inverse where i was an entertainment writer and that was where i cut my teeth on on things and and learned journalism from a lot of amazing editors uh and, and peers and that was my first my first real writing job and that was not tied to video games specifically so that's why i have a lot of backgrounds in like movies and tv coverage is because Mm -hmm. i was actually pretty much working on movies and tvs with games as sort of the side on the side to that but um but that's where i learned the basics of the job and then and then grew into into the into the thing and then from there i was also freelancing so as you said i was pitching i was pitching i was pitching to editors at the time so i got stories published in like vice and polygon and, and other places and then um and then yeah and then luck would have it i uh cat bailey who i work with now at ign who was then the editor-in-chief at us gamer uh took a chance on me when us gamer was looking for a news editor and that's when i applied and got that job and that's what I did for for several years and and learned even when that was when I got deep into into video game industry specifically you know learned. and then from there um Tina Amini at IGN who was then editor-in-chief here uh reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to join IGN and, and I was like yeah absolutely <laughs> that's awesome so I'm curious working across those different newsrooms and even kind of departments entertainment to news, freelancing, now features. Um, have those different departments or, or editorial focuses, like, do you feel like that's shaped the way you your writing has changed? And, and I guess how has that changed, like, outlet to outlet? Um, I don't think it's actually – I don't think it's changed necessarily outlet to outlet in that I, I think I was very fortunate that we, we – I came up around the time when a lot of people were really trying to do new things, are still trying to do new things in journalism and sort of, and, you know, a, a big emphasis is on, is on original reporting, you know, uh, a lot of big, a big emphasis is on, um, you know, voice forward storytelling, that kind of thing. And, and so I think journalism really was changing when, funny enough, when I started becoming a journalist and that was really nice. Because, uh, you know, at Inverse, for example, when I first started out, like oral histories was like a big project that they uh, that they do. And I, I believe they still do a lot of them over over there. But um, like that was one of those things that is fun and new and not super common at the time. But a lot of people were doing them. And that's where and it really opens you up to exploring different types of stories to tell. 
like whether they're oral histories, whether they're little deep dives into like one single fun fact from a trailer or a video game or, or things like that. Like you realize, yeah, people kind of want to read interesting and fun things regardless of, of what people are talking about. And so it makes you, it, it, what it is, I think we're in a fearless time for journalism is what I'm trying to say is I think uh, people have cool new pitches that previously weren't done before, maybe in like the nineties and we are, everyone's, getting the benefit of it nicely put if that I, makes sense no that does make sense and would that be you know you mentioned when with freelancers reaching out to you looking for the news hook you know the the time relevancy because you know more people are often going to read about something new than something old um also looking for of course the storytelling angle with the feature any other advice you would give just to writers in general uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds, it sounds corny, but trust your voice, trust your idea. You know, I think, I think the one thing that separates a really good pitch from any other pitch is if someone, uh, and I, and I'm literally not talking to anybody, but you know, pitches are pitches you get, I get a lot of them, but you can, you can tell an original pitch from a sort of pitch that maybe had sort of like, I saw this cool thing and I kind of want to try this with this instead, you know, but you, you get pitches where like, Hey, I have this idea and I, I don't want to spoil anything, but we have a, I got a cool pitch uh, that's in the works right now, you know, and it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, this is a really, like, original thing, and you can tell that it was driven by their own, like, passions and their own, like, enthusiasm for this specific thing, and so, yeah, trust your voice, trust your idea. Don't be afraid to pitch something kind of crazy, you know, like, if you're just like, I, like I'm happy to help. Uh, I got, that's sort of what I want to do as an editor is help facilitate, you know, and so if a writer reaches out and says, hey, I have this pitch, but it kind of I may need uh, I may need to interview you know the CEO of a company or something like that. Like I'm here to help out and try and get that connection made. You know, so I love that. I love the trust your voice, even if you don't like your voice, <laughs> as you maybe have mentioned earlier. But no, that's really great advice to stick to your passions because that's going to really show in your writing when you're writing about something you really care about. Um, trying to think. I Sam, is there anything? I had a few. This is like just a more personal interest thing. Uh, Matt, are you strictly games features, or how do you divide your time across like TV and movies as well? If those fall under your your purview. Uh, yeah, actually, okay. So this is good for listeners, and I guess something that I've been meaning to clarify on Twitter. But yeah, I am I'm actually heading up games specifically. You know, oh, so okay. on IGN we have. A very talented uh, entertainment and movies and TVs features teams who I pitch when I have an idea about <laughs> a movie or TV, and so I go through them. But as far as game, like I, I my purview is games specific, and it's weird, you know, nowadays because of the of because pop culture is so like tangled up in one another. You know, mm-hmm. there's games based on movies and movies based on games, and so I get I get that that distinction is tricky and honestly it's a little it's a little tricky internally today too for us but uh but for all intents and purposes i am games only at IGN. games features that's good to know i asked because like as caitlin mentioned your twitter i'll, I'll plug matt uh at law of td it's where we can find you on twitter and like you know of course i know as we all are, are interested in things more than just games but like i see you tweeting about the last of us tv show and um you know Physical 100 is the name of it, right? Yes. Yeah. And I wonder, I was like, okay, where does, oh, what do these actually fall under the job description? And which of these, I like that having to reach out to your coworkers with an idea for movies or TV. I'm glad you asked because I just assumed you were also doing movies and TV because <laughs> I'm so used to following your Twitter account and it being like everything yeah. under the sun. Because, um, yeah. Sam and I both, like, we talk about movies all the time and are very active on Letterboxd. So even though we work in games and this podcast is games-focused, we also are really interested in other mediums of storytelling. And like you mentioned, it's all getting very tangled and we're it's even making our job difficult in some ways or just it's learning to navigate uh, basically the transmedia mm-hmm. of video game storytelling across many modes of entertainment. Yeah. Um, 
I actually, I do have another question for you. Um, with the, since you've worked in entertainment and games, what are some of your favorite like pieces that you have uh, wrote over the years? Uh, I mean, the sheet that you sent me over feel I feel like has like my top three uh, on there already, and so <laughs> that was really helpful for me. Uh, this was uh, Caitlin and Sam, very good podcast hosts for anyone anyone listening. And if they ask me to come on, they will do their research. Uh, but yeah, the the Asian American game developer story uh, that you highlighted was a was a personal. I don't know if I'll ever be able to do something as cool or as personal and, and something that I'm passionate about as that. Like, I feel like that was one of the things that like, I'm, I'm glad that I was able to do. Uh, and I'm especially glad that I Jen gave me the time uh, to, to pursue something like that. You know, not, I think I, uh, the sneaker culture one predicted the Xbox series X and PS five scalpers was also super fun. I, uh, flirted with sneaker culture during the pandemic. I think I think during the pandemic, people just were like, what can I get into while I'm stuck at home? And so one of the things that I got into was was maybe buying one too many pair of sneakers. And uh, at the same time, when PS5 and Series X were coming out, I I, I actually bought my PS5 from a, uh, a Twitter account that actually posts sneaker deals. Like that's how <laughs> I got my PS5, is uh, a Twitter account that I follow specifically for sneaker releases was like, hey, here's a live link to a PlayStation 5 on Amazon. Go, go, go. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And that's what gave me the idea that it was very funny that these sneaker scalp, not scalping, but like sneaker bots were posting about PlayStation 5 and Xboxes at the time huh. of launch because that, and that's where I was like, there's a, there's a, connection here and so i was able to explore that and that was really fun and and um yeah and the pokemon go and in the coronavirus during the pandemic like that one was in was uh, you know because that's a game that requires people to go outside and people could not go outside for months during that time and so that was a really interesting interesting look at, at what what that game was doing so yeah i think the cool overlap of all three of these stories is finding like broader culture overlap with with gaming mm -hmm. topics whether that's what's happening in film and tv and, and you know comparing that to what's happening in games or how you know s how sneaker culture relates to you know the supply and demand of, of consoles like i am fascinated by those kind of features and i think it's a cool way to keep you know the the gaming at the heart of the story while still burning out to like you said the the humans you know then make it all interesting in the first place. Oh, I mean, thank you. But yeah, yeah, no, those were really fun stories to, to follow and, and chase. You know, the, the sneaker one in particular was really funny, actually. just That was just ridiculous. <laughs> I think that one's like my favorite one because it makes me feel better about also coming up, like finding a like ridiculous hobby when the pandemic hit. One that's also expensive, but mine wasn't sneakers. I just started buying a lot of DVDs from like boutique companies. Hell yeah. Because why not? Yeah. Um, and my wallet yells at me every day for it, but we needed something to do. Um, but mine's not related to games. <laughs> well, uh, Caitlin, do you have any other questions? That was going to be my last question as well. Yeah, I think... I think that was my last one. Matt, do you, is there anything else you want to plug, talk about? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, like I said, still still only one month in uh, into my new role, into my new job. But uh, I'm hoping to, to hoping that these changes that are already in place that predate mm -hmm. me, but hopefully you see more of that at IGN in the future. So keep an eye out on the, on the site because I think like, we have a lot of cool stuff coming. Yeah, well, definitely keep an eye out on what IGN's doing, what you're doing. Um, I'm sure you'll bring even you'll bring some of your own changes, uh, and I'm sure they'll be great. And we can talk about those then when those happen. Um, I, Sam already mentioned it, but can you say again just where can people find you? Uh, yeah, you can you can find me at, at Law of TD on on Twitter account. Uh, it's the name's from a Simpsons joke. I, I was gonna ask. Kind of, I was like, uh, I need to know the story. It's a Simpsons joke. It's an old. It's from the uh, the episode where the PTA disbands. Go look it up. You'll you'll probably find it in there. Uh, <laughs> I, anyway, but yeah, and if not, you know, just Matt Kim IGN on Google should probably pop up all of my various socials. Mm -hmm. Sam, where can people find you? 
You can find me everywhere at Sam Scott Mosier, including on the aforementioned letterbox uh, where I did see it. I mean, in the Lost Quantumania, uh, the weekend this is coming out, I, I don't think I will have time to see Cocaine Bear, unfortunately. So, uh, <laughs> but maybe I will in the future. Caitlin, where can people find you? They can find me at Caitlin Redwing on Twitter and Letterbox. I also saw Ant Man <laughs> in the Wasp Quantumanium. I don't know if you want to read my review, <laughs> might make you mad. Um, and you can find the podcast on Real Type Strats on Twitter and everywhere that you listen to podcasts. And you can email us at podcasts at triplepointpr.com. Uh, thank you all for listening, and thank you once again, Matt, for joining us. This was a great conversation. It was lovely having you on. Thank you for having me. This was great. I really enjoyed it. Great. All right. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.